following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. We've been working through this Gospel of John uh, for most of the year. I think this is message 22 in the series on John. And so we've We've been journeying through this gospel over maybe six months or so, looking at the life of Jesus, and this is the final message in the series this morning. So I hope it's been a good series for you. I hope that you felt encouraged through it. I hope it's been positive and, and hopeful for you. And I hope that it's, it's had the effect in your life that John, who wrote this book, hoped it would have. And he tells us what that is in John 20. He says, this was written so that you would believe, so that you'd have faith that Jesus is the Messiah. And that by believing, you would have life in his name. So the whole point of John's gospel all along has been to give us faith. It's been all about faith. And so uh, I, I hope that wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, that it's, this has been good for your faith. And I hope it continues to be good for your faith reading this book. That Maybe if you're not a person of faith, that it's drawn you a little closer to Jesus. And if you are a person who has faith in Jesus, that it's strengthened your faith, deepened your faith, drawn you that much more close to him. And uh, keep on reading the Gospel of John. Uh, it's such a transformative book. Every Gospel presents Jesus a little bit differently. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the story a little bit differently. They've got different things to, to highlight and to say about Jesus. But as we've worked through this Gospel, <laughs> excuse me, uh, John's concern really is that we would see Jesus as the bearer of God's new creation for the world. And we've, I've used that term so many times, I know it's become a cliche and you're sick of hearing it, the idea of new creation, but it's the idea that Jesus has come as the agent of God's renewal. He's the one who's come to mend the brokenness of this world, to put right what is not right, to bring God's justice into the injustices of the world, to bring God's peace into the fractured relationships of the world, to bring God's healing and forgiveness into the sinfulness of the world. Uh, and he's the one who is, who is bringing this about through his life and his death and his resurrection. And you see that right from the beginning of John's gospel, right from the very first three words that we looked at when we started this series, where John begins his, his gospel with the words, in the beginning. And so straight away you know what kind of story this is going to be. This is going to be a creation story. He's picking up those words from Genesis. And on he goes. John's telling this new creation story. And just as God made the world through Jesus, now he's remaking the world through Jesus. And Jesus is at the center of both, except this time it's not creation out of nothing. This time it's creation out of the old one. New creation's coming about right in the midst of the present brokenness of the world. And so we've looked at how through Jesus' words and his teachings, his miracles, his interactions with people, he's always bringing about this new creation. And this new creation, this healing, renewing work of God, it touches every area of life. We've looked at how it touches our working lives last week, how it connects with issues of faith and doubt, how God's new creation should affect relationships within our church community, how it affects our spiritual blindness to see what God is doing, how it affects the way we reach out to others. This new creation, again and again, touches every single area of human existence. And then this morning we come to this, this last passage we'll look at in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, and we see the new creation Jesus is bringing about, touching maybe the most personal, sensitive, difficult part of our lives, our own failure, our own sinfulness and weakness and brokenness. 
So we're going to read this passage, and I want to back up just a little bit and read part of the passage that we looked at last week in John 21, starting in verse 9, overlap slightly, and then read through to verse 19. So the words are on screen, uh, or if you've got your Bible, you can follow along. So from verse 9, When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I wonder for you whether you have particular uh, sights or sounds or smells that evoke certain memories for you. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, certain sensory things and it just transports you back to a certain time and a certain place or evokes certain memories. For me, one of them is sunscreen. So as soon as I smell sunscreen, you know, this, like, it, it just takes you to the heart of summer. Right? Even if I'm just slapping sunscreen on Josh before school, suddenly it's midsummer and I'm at the park or the beach or by the pool. It just takes you to those places. Apparently smell is particularly strong as an evocative sense for memory. But these, these senses that we have, they've got a way of making associations and sometimes taking us right back to our childhood in an instant if we see something or hear something or smell something. And I think that this is what's happening for Peter in this scene. As he comes onto the beach that morning, he sees Jesus there sitting beside a fire. And that word for the fire is exactly the same word that John used to describe a fire in the courtyard of the high priest's home back in John 18 when Peter denied Jesus, this charcoal fire. And I think for Peter, immediately looking at that fire would have taken him back to that moment a couple of weeks prior, Jesus had predicted that Simon Peter would deny him three times, and Peter had absolutely rejected that suggestion, but then he'd gone on to do exactly that, to disown any knowledge of Jesus, any association with Jesus, three times that night when Jesus was betrayed around that fire as he warmed himself in the high priest's home while Jesus was being interrogated and questioned inside. And then the rooster crowed, and Peter went outside and wept. And I imagine for Peter in the weeks following this, 
that would have weighed heavily on his heart. I mean, he would have been delighted that Jesus was raised from the dead. He would have been excited to see Jesus again. He would have been stoked with this huge catch of fish. But you've got to think that failure of Peter's, that absolute, complete screw-up, it must have sat pretty heavily on his heart. And as he came onto the beach that morning, he must have done so with a pretty, you know, it must have been some trepidation there, I think, wondering how this was going to go with Jesus. And he saw this fire there and he would have thought, here we go. You know, Jesus is going to bring this up. This is the moment. This is going to be dealt with. Now it's out in the open. What's going to happen? How's this going to play out? It could have easily been that right there Peter lost his role as an apostle, that Jesus could have severed his friendship with Peter right then. That could have been absolute curtains for Peter. And he must have, why? He didn't know how the story was going to end. He must have wondered what this was going to mean for him and Jesus. And this way in which Jesus responds to Peter in this conversation, I think is a beautiful picture of how Jesus approaches us in our failures and how Jesus responds to us in our own sin because it's not hard to identify with Peter in this story, is it? It's not hard to identify with him because we all fail and we carry failure in our lives and we've all done things and we've said things and we've thought things that have denied Jesus, maybe not overtly like Peter, but certainly through the way we have lived, the way we have conducted ourselves, we've done things that have really denied that we're a follower of Jesus. And so like Peter, we often carry the baggage of those things in the present. We carry the guilt of those things. We carry the shame. We carry all the regret. And sometimes... It weighs heavily on us. Other times, not so much. But there's times when it just feels like we can't shake the baggage of our own past and our failures just cast a long shadow over our lives. So we need this story because we need to see how Jesus meets us in our failure. And we need to see what this story shows is what happens when this new creation that Jesus is bringing about runs up against our own sin and our own abject failure. So Jesus and Peter go for a walk along the beach after breakfast. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You notice the name change there? That Jesus calls Peter by his old name, Simon. Simon, son of John. That was Peter's birth name. That was his name up until the point when he met Jesus. And there's this beautiful book ending here of the Gospel of John. Right at the end of the Gospel, in the last chapter, we have this connection back to the first chapter. When Jesus first called Simon as a fisherman. Simon's brother Andrew brought him to Jesus. And Jesus, in chapter 1, verse 42, looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter. There's a great cartoon that explains what this moment was like when Simon, earlier in the day, had just got these thousand business cards printed saying, Simon the fisherman. And then Jesus says to him, Simon, from now on you shall be called Peter. <laughs> I thought that was quite cool. But this was a great moment in Simon's life. And it was a moment where everything changed for him and his whole identity shifted. He, he was no longer Simon the fisherman. Now he was Peter, the follower of Jesus. And this identity, his identity was now all bound up with his 
association with Jesus, that he was a friend of Jesus, he was going to walk with Jesus, apprentice Jesus, be in the very inner circle of Jesus' disciples. That's who he was now. And then right at the end of Jesus' earthly existence, after Peter has reached the absolute lowest point in his life of denying Jesus three times, denying the very person he was called to serve, Jesus takes him back to his calling. Jesus takes him right back to that moment when he first became a follower of his by addressing him as Simon. He's taking him back and he's walking him through his calling again. He's rehearsing the story of Peter's calling. That's why Jesus gets to the end of this conversation with Peter and he says again to him, follow me. Same thing he said to the disciples when he first called them. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Peter, I know you've screwed up. I know you've absolutely reached rock bottom. I know you have absolutely messed up here, but it doesn't change your calling. It doesn't change who you are. doesn't change the fact that your identity is with me and in me now. Nothing you've done, Peter, has changed that one bit. It's what Jesus is saying, I think by taking Peter back to that moment. This is what Jesus wants to do with us, especially, I think, in those moments when our failures do get on top of us and they stare us down and we feel so weighed down by our own mistakes and regrets in the past. That Jesus wants to take us, take us back to our own calling, to be followers of him, to take us right back to that moment where you first stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Do you remember what that's like for you? Do you remember what that time was like? Just think about that for a moment. That time when you first, if you are a follower of Jesus, the time when you first stepped into that relationship. Maybe it was a moment, a day, maybe it was a long period of time. For me, it was a number of years when I was an early teenager growing into this relationship with Jesus for myself. But what was that experience like for you? Because that's what Jesus is wanting to regularly return you to. Not to remind you of who you were before that, but to say that's when your identity changed. That's when you stopped being the old person. That's when you stopped having the old name, in a sense, and you took this new name of chosen and called and beloved child of God in relationship with Jesus. That's your identity. And that changed when you entered into that relationship with Jesus. You might wear a lot of different hats in your life, have many different social roles and tasks that you perform, but if you're a follower of Christ, your primary identity is in Him, and nothing that you do can affect that. Nothing that you do, no matter how far you fall, no matter how much you mess up, no matter how many times you mess up, nothing changes that fundamental identity. Because we want to be named by our failure so often. We, we let our failure define us. And name us. And we feel like, oh, that thing that I've done, that's basically symbolic of who I am. And Jesus says, no, that's not you. Your failure, your failure is not the truest thing about you. It's not the deepest thing about you. The deepest thing about you is that you belong to Jesus. That's where your identity is. I've just finished reading a book by Henri Nouwen called The Life of the Beloved. I mentioned it a couple of times in this series. And it's a book that came about because this guy, Henri Nouwen, uh, had a friendship with this guy, Fred, who was a non-Christian. And Fred asked him to write a book about the spiritual life for non-Christians. So Henri Nouwen wrote this book about what it means to be God's beloved, to be God's child. And you get right through the book. And then just this week, I read the epilogue to the book where he describes what happened when he gave the book to Fred. 
when he'd finished writing what I'd just read, he gave the book to Fred. And I was amazed in reading this. He said, Fred read the manuscript and came back to him and said, this basically isn't what I wanted. This, he said, to be honest, this didn't really connect with me. Uh, my friends read it. It didn't touch them deeply. And we felt like the description of the spiritual life you're describing is really this dreamlike thing. And you made so many presuppositions that we don't share. And he said, maybe he said it lovingly, but, and, and the amazing thing is, Henri now just wrote all this down. This is his epilogue to the book. And I thought, I thought a couple of things. I thought, one, man, what a secure man to write that. You know, what a secure guy to actually put that in the book. I don't think I would have mentioned that if that had happened after I'd written all of this. But he just, this is his conclusion. He says, well, this is what happened when I gave the book to Fred. This was the whole purpose in writing it. And basically, it was a failure. This was a failed writing project. And yet at the same time, there's this beautiful, beautiful irony that you have reading this, that the, the whole point of the book is that our identity is not in our failure, that it's in our chosenness, and it's in our belovedness, and it's in our identity with Christ. And in some ways, it's per, it was perfectly fitting that he'd brought all this to conclusion and said, here, in a sense, the whole book's a failure, and yet I'm still loved, and I'm still chosen, and I, I, my identity doesn't change. It was just perfect and very vulnerable and raw, but so real, and it just brought it all together for me. Because we want to be named by our failures so often, but that's not where your identity is. And we need, I think, to be vulnerable enough to confess our failure, as we've done this morning. To be honest about those things before God, and yet at the same time to know that's really not who I am. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I am a follower of Jesus before anything else. Let Jesus tell you who you are. Let the cross show you who you are, the depth of the Father's love for you. That's where your identity is. Let Jesus take you back to your calling, as he did for Peter. Especially those moments when you just feel shackled by your past and things you're not proud of. Let Jesus go back and rehearse with you again the story of your own conversion, the story of your own calling, and renew your first love in relationship with him. Well, Jesus not only returns Peter to his calling, but he takes him into the present. He says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's an interesting question, isn't it, to ask him. Do you love me? I think if it was me, I probably would have thought of a few other questions to ask. Questions like, why did you do that? Questions like, are you sorry? Questions like, are you going to do it again? You know, the parenting questions would have come up for me. I mean, this is a guy who has just disowned Jesus three times. I would have thought Jesus is going to be a little bit harsh with him and want to know, is this going to be an ongoing habit, Peter? But all Jesus asks him, as far as we know, is this simple question, almost so simple it seems childish. Maybe that's the point. Do you love me? I think the power of that question is that it's in the present tense. Do you love me now? Not in the past. Jesus doesn't want to go back over all the dumb stuff you've done. He doesn't want to rub your nose in it. That's not his intention. He does, he's not going to relitigate everything, burden you with everything, relive all of your past mistakes. He simply turns to you in the present and asks you, do you love me now? And that, condition, that, that question exposes the condition of our heart. I think it's got a way of lifting us above all of our guilt and shame because guilt and shame are about the past. They're about feeling bad over stuff that has happened. But that question is the present. It's don't worry about that. It's just where is your heart now? 
Do you love Jesus now? Is your heart turned towards him now and are you open to him now? It's like the, the father of the prodigal son in Luke 15. When the son comes home, you know what the father says? You were dead, but now you're alive. Now, present tense. You were lost, but now you're found. He doesn't care. He doesn't ask, where did you spend my money? He doesn't ask, where have you been? He doesn't want a big sorry speech. All he cares about, your home. That's it. Here you are now. Let's feast. That's the deal. That's how Jesus sees you. That's what he wants to do in your life is to renew his grace in your life in the present. All it takes is that openness of heart for us to say, yeah, I love Jesus. I want that relationship. I need that renewal. No matter how many times I fail, because our failure is continual, isn't it? We constantly need this renewal in the present. I think that's why Jesus asks this question three times to Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because the whole scene is supposed to be a mirror image of Peter's denials. That just as Jesus, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, now Jesus comes along and restores Peter three times. He's saying, Peter, for every time you've sinned, I'm meeting you with my grace. Peter, every time you've messed up, I'm coming to you with my mercy. And for every subsequent time, Peter, my grace is going to be there again for you. You, you can't out-sin God. I wouldn't encourage you to try. But you can't out-sin God. Every time we mess up, God is there again with fresh grace, fresh forgiveness, fresh mercy to pour into our lives. I'm not a huge fan of reading too much into biblical numbers, but I think there is some significance to the fact that Jesus asked this question three times. When you see these threefold repetitions in Scripture, there's often some significance there. You think about the, the angels and crowds in Isaiah and Revelation that say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why threefold? It's this idea of perfect holiness, absolute holiness, complete holiness. And here is Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That sense of perfect and complete grace, absolute and total forgiveness. You cannot exhaust the supply of God's love. And I think those of you need to hear this, particularly who are trapped in cycles of sin, addictive patterns of brokenness and habits of wrongdoing, because it's so repetitive, we can easily feel, I've just done this so many times now. It's just, you know, it's not three, it's 3,000. And you need to know God is every time he's there with, with grace, every time, doesn't matter how many times, and it doesn't matter how many times you've committed the same sin and fallen back into the same old trench that you just seem to get yourself back into. But God is constantly there, and Jesus will come to you every time and renew his grace in your life and say to you, I love you, I've chosen you, I've called you, and once again, I'm pouring mercy and forgiveness to cover over all of your sin. Where your sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. And God will renew that every time. All he wants to know is, do you love me? What's the condition of your heart towards him? And then Jesus takes Peter to the future. He returns him to his past calling. He renews his grace in the present. And then he takes him forward. When Peter answers this question each time, Jesus responds by saying, feed my lambs. Or feed my sheep. He alters the wording a bit, but the essence is the same. And Jesus is not just forgiving Peter here. What he's doing is giving him back his job. 
what he's doing is reinstating him to the role of an apostle and saying, Peter, again, I'm calling you to feed my sheep, to do the work that's going to need to be done when Jesus ascends back to heaven and the disciples carry on this whole movement. He's saying, Peter, I know you've messed up and screwed up, but it doesn't change the fact that you are still called and commissioned as an apostle to take the good news of Jesus into the world. Nothing has changed that. And so Peter receives this commission afresh from Jesus to be a co-shepherd. And don't you love the language where Jesus says, feed my sheep. I mean, whose sheep are they? They're Jesus' sheep, right? This is not just Peter, go off and do something for me. This is, Peter, can you share in my work? Peter, I'm going to be doing this shepherding work. Will you be involved in this? Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's drawing Peter back into this work that's ongoing. God's forgiveness in our lives is never just for us. It's to be offered out to the world. It's to be offered through us to the world because the only people who can genuinely offer God's forgiveness to the world are forgiven people. The only people who can genuinely offer God's grace to the world are those who have received it. And God calls us to be ambassadors of His grace, to feed others with His grace, with His forgiveness, to offer it out like nourishment to other hungry and thirsty people. We've received His forgiveness. We keep on receiving His forgiveness so abundantly. How can we not hold it out to others who desperately need it? Have you heard about these new atheist churches that are springing up? They're called Sunday Assemblies. There's a couple of them in New Zealand, including one in Auckland, I think. And they are atheist churches. They are what they sound like. Apparently, I haven't been along, but apparently they, in many ways, they mimic a typical church service. So there is singing, and there is uh, some kind of talk, some kind of inspirational teaching. And there's community time, build relationships, and they even engage in social justice and community development work. But all this without God, all of this in a purely atheistic way. And it's fast. I think this is going to be really interesting if if this movement gets going. Because what it will do is highlight whether there's anything really distinct about the church. Because you think about it, if if there was an atheist congregation that popped up a block down the road, what have we got to offer that they would not? It's not good music. They could do that. It's not inspirational teaching. They could do that. It's not great fellowship. It's not even community engagement. The only thing we've got to offer the world they can't get at the atheist church down the road is God's grace and His forgiveness. If someone stands up in an atheist church and offers people genuine forgiveness for sins, they're lying. You cannot find it there. People will walk into these communities with all of their sin, dead and transgressions, and they will walk out just the same for all the other good stuff that may go on. The only thing the church has to offer the world is the grace and the forgiveness of God, not that it's found in us. We can just point people towards Jesus. That's the only thing that's truly unique and distinct about us. All these other things are good, and we should do them, but only if they're an expression of God's love for the world and His grace being outworked through us. That's the one thing we have that sets us apart. The one thing that people can find in us, in our lives, they can't get anywhere else, is the love of God and His grace for our brokenness and our sins. So we've got to be ambassadors of this, and I would suggest it starts 
by looking around and thinking, is there anyone in our lives that, that needs our forgiveness? Christ has forgiven us. He's restored us. He keeps on forgiving us. Is there someone in your life who needs your forgiveness? Is there someone who's wronged you? Is there someone who's offended you? Is there someone who's hurt someone you love? And you feel those wounds, don't you? But this is the calling of the gospel. I think when Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, this is what it means for us. Are we willing to feed forgiveness to others, even though they don't deserve it, even though it will leave you with a sense of injustice because a wrong has not necessarily been righted? This is the expression of the gospel in our lives to genuinely forgive other people, offer them peace and pursue reconciliation, no matter how much it costs and hurts us. Not just obligatory forgiveness, not just a kind of perfunctory sort of thing, but from our hearts, where we genuinely wish them well, and our heart is genuinely turned back towards them. And we don't get smug inside when they fail and fall, but we genuinely love them and forgive them and do our best to offer them God's grace and love, and we keep on forgiving them as long as it takes. That's a hard thing to offer when someone's really offended you. But this is what it means, I think, for us to be commissioned by Jesus to feed his forgiveness to the world. So as we wrap this up and we draw the whole series to a close, I, I want to just end on that really, really simple question as we head to take communion in a couple of minutes. The simple question that comes out of this passage, do you love Jesus? It almost seems embarrassing to ask it, but there's a depth to that question, isn't there? That God is a God who not only lavishes his love on us, but he wants to be loved by us. Not because he's insecure, but because he created us to relate to him. And our sin is a barrier, but when our hearts are open, he renews his grace in our lives. So Jesus asks you this morning, do you love me? I want you to hear that question addressed to you. Put your name in the blank. Do you love me? Not do you have a feeling of love? Not are you emotionally attracted to God? This is not Jesus is my boyfriend. This is much deeper than emotions, much deeper than feelings. At the core of your being, do you love Jesus? Well, you answer that question in your own heart. Do you love Jesus? Everything else springs from that. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never answered yes to that question. And maybe when we talked about going back and, and rehearsing your conversion and your calling, you realized there is no story. There is no point when you came into a relationship with Jesus because you've never personally known who he is. And for you, that question is there for you this morning. Jesus is asking you personally that question, do you love me? And are you willing to step into a relationship with me for the very first time? Or maybe after a very long time, everything that needs to be done for that to happen has been done by Jesus who's taken your sin upon himself on the cross. And he stands before you today, arms open and says, do you love me? All he's looking for is an open heart, a willingness to give your life to him. Ask his forgiveness for your brokenness and your sin and selfishness and step into that relationship with him for the first time. Jesus is inviting you into that relationship, inviting you to receive new life through him today. And if you're willing to answer yes to that question, I invite you to join us at the table to take communion, take the wafer and the juice as an expression of your desire to be consumed by Jesus, be in relationship with him. And I'd love to talk with you more about that relationship, getting started in a relationship with Jesus after the service.
But if you belong to Jesus this morning, you have faith in him, that question is still just as pertinent. It's still just as poignant for you. Do you love Jesus? Maybe for you that love's grown cold and mediocre. Maybe because your failures are just staring you down and you're so shackled by your past. And this morning Jesus is saying, forget about your past. That's not where your identity is. He simply wants to know today, do you love him? Do you really love Jesus? Is this just obligatory for you? Is this just going through the motions? Do you genuinely love him? Do you genuinely want to step back into a relationship with him? Because <clears throat> when your heart is open, he'll meet with you again, pour his love into your life, renew your relationship with him in that moment and take you forward in his grace and in his strength. God longs to hear yes to that question, but you answer it honestly. And wherever you're at, he'll take you from there and take you forward into the future that he has for you. So let's pray as we prepare ourselves for communion and let that question sit in our hearts. Jesus, we, we hear you asking us that question as you ask Peter that question. Do you love me? And Jesus, we're so conscious of so many things in our life that we've done that have put up barriers between us and you. And we're conscious too, Lord, of just the drift away from you, the mediocrity that we've drifted into, sometimes the apathy. And it's not been anything in particular but it's just been a long time of not really knowing you and not really loving you. And Jesus, there's plenty of voices even now that are telling us it's not possible to be renewed. It's not possible to really have a fresh start. But Jesus, your word tells us that it is. And as you stood before Peter and asked him, do you love me? You're standing before us now asking us just the same. Do you love me? Jesus, we want to respond to you with a wholehearted yes. We want to say, Jesus, yes, we love you. And to the degree that we don't, we want to love you. We want our hearts to be more open to you than they are now. We want to pursue you more. We want to love you more. We want to grow deeper in our relationship. We don't want to be shackled by our past anymore. So Jesus, come and renew your love in our lives. Come and set us free from our past. Come and set us free from the things that just keep us, keep us bound and keep us trapped. Come and bring freedom from all of that. Renew your love and your grace in our lives. Restore our relationship with you. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.